What are the coral projects? Why should we buy bamboo toilet paper? And how do we find safety and creativity? These questions and more coming up on today's episode of the Power to Pivot podcast, where eco-artist and spiritual coach Vanessa Alberry returns to the show for a completely different conversation than last, where she is sharing her path to creativity and art, where she is sharing all about her coral projects. And yes, we are absolutely discussing the importance of bamboo toilet paper on our world. It is an episode not to be missed. Are you ready? It is time to pivot. Welcome to the Power to Pivot podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Miles, author and founder of March 4th Media Company, and I believe in the power to pivot. We all come to these moments in life when we have the ability to make a choice that can really transform our lives. By sharing these stories, we help other people recognize the power within themselves to do the same. This creates community and empowers even more people towards growth and change. So here we are talking with those looking to create big and beautiful positive change in the world while creating new conversations to help you lead your best life. So join me on this journey as we discover the power to pivot within our own lives together. I can't wait to see where your next pivot takes you. Please don't forget to follow along so you never miss an episode. Are you ready? It is time to pivot. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Power to Pivot podcast. I am so grateful and excited for today's guest. She has returned. I have Vanessa Alberry joining me. You might remember she spent some time with us a couple of weeks back talking about uh, her path to being a coach and healer. And Vanessa's joining us today to, to talk about another pivot she had made in her life and, and all the work of art that she's created. Hi, Vanessa. <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. I love being back here with you. I think what you're doing is really special and lovely and um, it's a delight. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> excited. You So you have this background and I this came pre-healer, pre-Akashic yes. Records reader um, as an artist. Yeah. So um, it's, I, I almost laugh a little every time I think or hear myself referred to as an artist because growing up I was obsessed with the ocean at like four we went for the first time snorkeling in the keys with my um my grandparents my aunt with my dad and I I felt at home for the first time like safe mm -hmm. and where I belong on a coral reef which is going to sound strange that a child, a human, a human child, <laughs> it feels at home underwater uh, on a reef. But, but that's where I felt safe for the first time in my life. And um, it's not that I wasn't loved. I was very loved and my family was very good to me. They did their best, but there was a lot of fighting. My parents were like brutal to each other. Uh, so I was, I was amidst a, what I call a war zone. So safety for me, I didn't know what it was until I was on a reef for the first time. Uh, and then I was just obsessed, like, you know, free draw time. I'm drawing underwater scenes, Aww. like, like all, all the time, like underwater stuff. And I thought I was going to be a scientist. So even through high school, I went to a math and science magnet high school in Nashville, Tennessee. Shout out to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Magnet High School for the health <laughs> sciences and engineering. Um, it wasn't until I got to my second semester freshman year in college that I realized, oh my gosh, I'm good at this art thing. Uh, and that only happened because I had a really rough first semester and I was like, all right, I'm changing everything next semester. I'm just going to have fun classes. And, you know, I took my first art class, my first college level art class, and I got an A and the teacher was like, I don't give A's. 
Wow. You know, he starts out the he starts <laughs> out the class. Yeah. A lot of art teachers are like that because everyone thinks art's an easy A. Um and so and I got an A plus in that class. And I was like, oh wow, I'm good at this. And I never had thought of myself as an artist before then. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. it's funny the way that um you think of yourself for so long one certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. And of course, now I've been an artist for 22 years professionally actually 23 years now professionally uh so much longer have I've now been an artist than I ever thought I wasn't one but that original thought you know of like oh an artist is someone special an artist is something that I'm not you know Mm. um yeah I still get over that but yes long story short a visual artist <laughs> so what was your first medium like when you were taking mm-hmm. that class was it mixed media art were you what were you doing yeah. and I'm curious did you mm-hmm. have that same feeling of safety Ooh. uh definitely didn't feel safe <laughs> okay <laughs> uh I mean I felt safe where I was I was in Charleston South Carolina which um we you know toward dark history uh in America that you know the the most slave trade ships came in and out of the Charleston ports. Um, so very, you know, very dark uh, history in America, but um, in the nineties, in the 1990s, uh, very safe place, lovely people around me, kind people around me, supported, um, just a beautiful, also a beautiful city. So in that way, I felt safe. Um and I, I, I've always loved school. So school is also kind of my safe space. Um, so, so, but, but the first class was drawing, okay. uh, cause that's required for, if you want to do anything else, first you have to learn how to draw. Um, and it, I, I said, I say, no, it wasn't necessarily safe because it was a challenge, you know, it was not easy. Um, but I was game for it and uh you know I, re- I remember um trying to draw a dream that I had like I had this dream of seeing uh the sun through trees and like I could see individual trees and I could see the movement and I was like trying to to draw that and just like exploring what drawing is I remember seeing the moon for the first time and actually looking at the the tonal differences on the surface of the full moon and drawing that. And like, oh, I do see a man in the moon. Like, I do see a face. <laughs> oh, there is a face there for the first time in my life. So I, I was I was finally um, using my strong powers of observation <laughs> to, to really look and to look through my own hand, which gave me a next level of like ownership of information, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, Uh, as I mm -hmm. visualize and think about, as you're talking about this, Mm -hmm. I almost imagine you in class, but almost like a a new baby, like Mm -hmm. coming into the world as this new person and, you know, exploring the world through art. And, and I can almost imagine you as, you know, looking at the moon through like a new lens of eyes. I, I get this really like, happy like very joyful and peaceful sense that that was a moment for you yeah it was like um it was beautiful I mean so beautiful it could bring me to tears like it you know it was really beautiful it was also the first uh moment I lived alone I mean I was in a dorm but it was like a single room dorm where I didn't have to share a room (laughs) yeah I I came into college as a sophomore uh, with my credits. So I was able to get next level, uh, pick, you know, earlier pick on housing. Um, and, but you know, when, when I think about it, there are many, many things I did before that were, you know, using my artistic skills, my artistic talent. I just didn't know it. Um, I, I used to, I was obsessed with music in high school, singer songwriters. Like this is the nineties when hip hop is the rage. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) 
give me the singer songwriters give me like the croning you know (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) excuse me and I would take and this is when cds were the thing right so I would I would arrange my favorite CDs on my floor in my bedroom, and then I would add elements. So I actually make like little collages, um, like how things, how how different albums link to each other and how, you know, I understood how it all worked together. Um, and I also like drawing. I did a, I did a significant amount of drawing. I just, I just remember being told like, you know, this person is the artist, you know, or like, um, this person is good at that, you know, not, not that anyone was like, you're not good at this, but it's like, this person is, and you're just like, oh, well, they didn't say me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had to take a drawing class in order to take the photography class that I really wanted to take. Gotcha. And over time you have evolved as an artist, but a lot of your work has stayed within the photography realm, right? Yeah. I'm, um, so I got my degree in, um, photography and sculpture. Mm -hmm. Um, and I use both of those still. So my, my interest in photography is not the interest that most people, um, have in photography. I, so most, so most people look at photographs as a window into another world, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have that image of the beach on your wall and you're like, you can just go to the beach. (laughs) And when you look Mm -hmm. at the picture on the wall, you're just at the beach, which is cool. I'm interested in the objecthood of photography, which people don't really think about so much a photograph is actually a physical object. It's even a digital photograph is a, isn't, is a physical object. Um, like a paper, a piece of paper that holds an image. It's a piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been interested in the, the, the aperture, the, um, the armature of what image making is image is a physical phenomena. Our eyes are actually, they have the same science as a camera. Um, you, a, a camera obscura is a natural form of a camera in nature. So like in a cave, if you go in a cave at, at with just the right size, with just the right hole opening to the light, the light, the sunlight comes through the hole projects into the cave you see the entire exterior of the cave inside the cave upside down laterally reversed live in color this is a natural phenomena of the way light works and so the science of a camera is nature it's a science of light it's very um rudimentarily the same thing um and I'm interested in the, in, yeah, in these, in these object elements that create image, but also in the, in the value we put on them. Um, like with film, for example, you know, most kids these days, they don't know what film is. Yeah. Like maybe they heard the term before, but they they, they never touched the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and although black and white photography is coming back, there's a lot of stores opening these days and like the kids are getting into it. Go for it, kids. Yes. Do um, <laughs> explore, get your hands dirty. Um, but so film, it's, it's this thing that was so important like 30 years ago, right? And it like, the the way that culture exists now is largely to do with the invention of film and 16 millimeter film, 35 millimeter film movies. They're, they're from film, right? Mm -hmm. And it used to be on these big reels and, you know, you change the reel midway through and you have to have a good projectionist to do that or else you lose the narrative as you watch. Yep. (laughs) Uh 
Um, so I'm, I'm interested, for example, in, well, what is film now? You know, if it's, if, if we are not, if everything's digital now, most everything's digital now, uh, you know, what is film? It's, it is, it's becomes this relic of the past, um, that everything now is built on, but that not many people remember. Uh, and actually that's why I use the, um, the metaphor of film in the sculptures that I make for coral projects. Um, because just like the oceans, we've forgotten, you know, film and the oceans together in this way, we've forgotten that the oceans are the base of our life. Uh, we've, you know, pollute them, destroy them, overeat them and dump our trash in them. Uh, and we forget that every other breath we take comes from them. So I use this form of the film, uh, like a film burned in a projector's light as this ossified relic to, um, to remind us of this break we need in the way we think about nature. We need to, we need to think about it. It with like the way that a film burns in a projector's light. It's like mm. boom, fire, right? It's gorgeous. It's arresting, but it breaks the narrative. We need that same kind of break with the way we work with nature, the way we think about it. Mm. As you are learning all of this about film Mm. did you have a moment when you realized you were a scientist too hmm. <laughs> yeah um I think I always thought I was a scientist mm -hmm. uh I, I think I re I think I learned that I'm not a scientist, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but I you mean, play with science through film I play with science yeah <laughs> I I'm science adjacent there um, you go <laughs> I, I like to work with scientists I think they are um some of the most creative minds, they're really open to my wild and wacky ideas. And they want to, you know, I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want to grow filter species on these sculptures. What do you think? And they're like, yeah, it's perfect. Let's do it. You know, um, I want to, I want to put these small ceramics that I dreamed up in a vision, uh, and, and your seahorse in a, and corals tank. Yeah, let's do it. And like, great. <laughs> you know, they're, they're um they have that joy that excitement that pure appreciation of nature uh because they study it yeah. they see it all you know they're <laughs> in it um and so i yeah i really i really vibe with scientists <laughs> so tell us about the coral projects because this is so fascinating to me um it's an underwater art exhibit mm -hmm. yeah. okay how? i like how you ask with a question <laughs> exhibit <laughs> yeah how what how, so how how does that work um how did that come about and where do we find this okay so coral projects is um what i call my life's purpose work I see my life's purpose in this lifetime for healing for people in the planet through art and the oceans. And so you, you've already heard about how healing for people through the Akashic records and my life coaching work comes into it, but through the oceans, it's, um, I make eco-friendly underwater contemporary artworks. And I also collaborate with other underrepresented artists to make these works and we work with marine scientists to cite them underwater to create the world's first eco-friendly underwater art exhibition. The plan is to have sites around the world, the whole, the whole equator. <laughs> um, and we work with local craftspeople and contemporary artists together so that um, the artworks are inspiring. They make you think, they make you wonder, they make you question. I don't necessarily need to see another mermaid underwater or like a, you know, scuba diver helmet or like a starfish like that. That all's great. It exists already. I want to see what else we can do. 
I want to see um, what, you know, contemporary artists are some of the, the most brilliant minds. They come up with the most interesting shapes and objects and ideas. And I want to, I want to help those people learn how to make eco-friendly art that then the ocean can collaborate with them. So corals, oysters, mussels grow on the sculptures. And my goal eventually is that you no longer see the sculptures. They'll work. The works will live underwater permanently. So think, you know, um, sunken ship kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, in an ideal world, the sea comes back so strong that you don't even see the sculptures anymore. I have sites uh, underway in Southern Italy, Jamaica, New York, and in conversations here in Dubai at a Dugan Preserve. The Gulf um, here, the Persian Gulf, they call it the Arabian Gulf here, but Persian Gulf is actually a little more generous to everyone in the region. Um, they've killed most of their sea life developing the city, Dubai. Um, there's been a lot of dredging of the seafloor and, you know, just, it doesn't, doesn't have the life it once had it, that it deserves to have. Mm. Um, and, and actually that the people need, and people don't realize how much they need it, but just kill the ocean and see what happens. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we can, if I go to, mm. you know, Southern Italy right now, like, can I, do I have to dive down to it? Like, Oh, how do I okay. see it? <laughs> right. So the site is underway. It's in progress. Okay. We are, we're fundraising for that site as well as a documentary film to, um, follow the project. And I, um, my goal is that those two things happen at the same time that the funding for uh, the documentary happens at the same time as the first sighting, because I really want that to be part of the documentary. Um, so the documentary follows me as the protagonist um, uh, creating this project around the world. And you will have to dive at the site in Southern Italy because the the site is in the Ionian Sea, um, Puerto Cesario, which is um, an archaeological marine site, marine protected site, because early homo species of mankind lived there, which is very cool. But the waves are so uh, powerful. The currents are very strong that actually the pieces will have to be sighted about 12 meters deep at the shallowest. So 12 meters deep, you're going to want uh, a scuba tank. Um, unless you're, you know, a strong free diver, you can, you know, snorkel down or you swim down and um, on a long breath. Um, other sites will be, you just swim and there it is. Um, eventually, I want underwater cameras at all the sites so that we can set up an app and anyone can look live real time and see exactly what's going on on the on the the artworks and um and the reef where they live so right now where you can see the work is on my website <laughs> and on my instagram so it's coralprojects.com and the instagram is coral.projects you can see the temporary sites that i've made um there's a temporary site from southern italy from 2022 i did a temporary site this year in south africa I would love to do a site in South Africa for the kelp forest, which that would be really, really awesome. Um, but yeah, that's how you see it right now. Amazing. I am so excited. Like I, but I, I also wonder because I, I don't know how does I think about Dubai and, and what you had mentioned about how they, the sea life is killed off. Yeah. If, and when this project is underway what what happens at that point how does and and how long does it take to regenerate mm. the, the the life there in the right. water mother nature is extremely resilient and the ocean is one of the 
fastest growing um, bio conditions, biospheres on the planet. I, I believe it was David Attenborough who said something like, um, life evolves 50% faster on a coral reef than anywhere else on the planet, even faster than a rainforest. Um, you just need to give it the conditions that it needs to thrive. Um, so, um, there, there are some energies here in Dubai that are working on becoming green, sustain, being sustainable, um, bringing, you know, the nature back. Uh, it, it, I would say it's a slow process here. People are really into the blingy blingy and the, you know, single use plastic life. Um, kind of hurts my feelings <laughs> I have to say <laughs> I, I like I'm constantly picking up after people and, um can it be both yeah blingy blingy yeah. and the like that's this like, is how this do is we what we people, want yes you can, do you can be blingy blingy <laughs> and actually what's way more blingy blingy than plastic is your own cup <laughs> <laughs> you know um yes it, I you know it what it comes from is when you've been in poverty and without for so long, you just want to like stew in your own filth. You know, it does that makes it like, you just want to have all the ease, all the convenience, you know, and Dubai is a young city, you know, it's only what, like 10 years that suddenly all these buildings are here. Mm -hmm. Um, and the country has been wealthy for a long time, but the people have not been wealthy for a long time. So they're, they're like, yeah, they're like teenagers, you know, running around smoking cigarettes and throwing around plastic water bottles, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, chip bags, and candy wrappers. Um, but the, the, the biggest flex is that, you can breathe clean air. You know, mm -hmm. the biggest flex is that you have a beautiful, clean environment that you live in uh, instead of, I mean, it's funny how the government uh, monitors like their um, identity on online. Cause if you look up like, are, is there plastic on the beaches of Dubai? It's like Dubai, Dubai has the most pristine beaches in the world. BS. Okay. <laughs> BS. Because listen, I'm on the beach almost every day. There is trash everywhere. People have trashed the beach. And I mean, I've been on the beach in Africa. I've been on the beach in Europe. I've been on the beach in America. I've been on the beach in South Africa, uh, South America. Trashiest beaches I've ever seen are here. Um, it's people from all over the world too. It's not like we're, we're not blaming the Arabs at right, all. Right, right, right. Um, um actually they're probably the ones not trashing their own beaches so like all the europeans and the australians and the you know not it's not so many americans mostly asians europeans australians um yeah the biggest flex to me is to have a beautiful eco-friendly sustainable high quality life that just gives back to nature that just works in fluidity mm -hmm. with nature that's like sleeping on sheets made of organic cottons or hemp um, which hemp when it grows it, it nourishes the soil in a way that cotton can't um, you know every time you sleep on those sheets you know you did something good for the planet so every time you sleep you're just going to get that next level of good vibe sleep Right, because you know that this is good. You you did something good here, even if you paid twice what it cost. You know that's that's a flex to me. Um, so I forget the first part of your question, but yeah, go ahead. That's okay. <laughs> um, I'm curious: is there a way? Well, actually, I have so many questions, but is there a way to use the trash for art? Can we? turn hmm. that trash into something beautiful 
um like is yeah I guess that's just my question (laughs) yeah it's a good question I have a few thoughts about this yes of course trash can be turned into art absolutely there are some incredible artists that do that already um Amanda something out of Cape Town, South Africa. She makes these amazing little sculptures out of these tiny microplastics that she collects from the beach. Um, I find, I find it to be a big challenge to do it well. Um, I, you know, the classic is like, look, I made a wave out of plastic water bottles. Like that's cool. Uh, I don't necessarily consider that art. I consider that design. I consider that creative. Um, but art, you know, art goes beyond the material into ideas. Art is a dialogue. It's an exchange. Um, it's a visual exchange. And so what is the dialogue, you know, that you're creating with the, with, with what you're presenting, uh, and so when your materials are trash, you know, it's, it's an interesting limit. It's an interesting limitation. Um, I know there's a festival here in February uh, that uses, a lot of artists use reuse materials, like trash materials. Um, I, I would rather us, <laughs> I would rather us stop making so much trash um, that's unnecessary. Yeah. You know, plastic is completely replaceable. Now there are plant-based alternatives that are non oil, non fossil fuel based. Um, and you can drink out of it. You can buy, you know, put it uh, in bags that you can make these bags that you know, are plant-based that are completely compostable. Um, I have a Lomi at home or when, when I have a home, (laughs) a Lomi, I'm, you know, nomadic right now. Um, and, and I bio any like plant-based plastics that I've used, I, I biodegrade them with my food waste. Um, it's really cool. And then you can use that biodegraded material, uh, as soil, for your house plants or your outdoor plants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just, we need to change our mindset around trash um, and, and start living a, a low waste lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we, we can make art out of trash just like, but then it's, you know, then where, where is it going to live? Um you know, is it, are you going to keep it forever? Is it, are you going to, you know, collect it? Is it going to hang on your wall? Okay. That's fine. But are you going to eventually throw it away? Mm. And we have another problem. Um, and that's what I find with a lot of these temporary installations. Yes. They're, they're collecting trash. They're putting it to use, but it's a temporary use. So it's, it's a permanent problem with a temporary solution. Um, and then we have things, yeah. And then we have things like, uh, baby's diapers, huggies. Oh, huggies, huggies. One huggy outlives baby by about 300 years. Wow. Yeah. One poopy diaper outlives baby 300 years. Do you want to make some art out of some poopy? No, I'm good. Okay. I'm just wondering. (laughs) Having had four children, I'm, I know. (laughs) No, no, you're not. That put a lot into perspective for me right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and imagine, you know, for thousands of years before the 1970s, before plastic was in everything, people did okay. Babies didn't poop all over everything you know they had diapers before and it worked there were services launder services where you know they come take the poopy cloth diapers clean them and then you have another set of clean diapers for baby to poop in um 
we want we want to just go back to that. Can we can we just we tried plastering and everything. Okay. Now we see it's a problem. Let's let's rewind a little. <laughs> let's uh let's let's change this you know, I think about the grocery store in the early 80s when I was a child. There was not so much plastic. Mm-hmm. There's now everything is in plastic. I mean, you're hard pressed to get things in glass bottles. Oh yeah. Glass and metal are 99.9% recyclable. So anything you buy, tin can, metal, glass, if you put those in your recycling program, they're likely getting fully recycled. That's a fully renewable material. Plastic, on the other hand, the percentage of plastic that is bought and and then that is entered into the recycling system, very low, one. And then of the plastic that goes into the recycling system, about 10 or 15% of it actually gets recycled. Ooh. Yeah. That's so it, it's some rough numbers. That is rough. Um, so we just have to completely rethink what we're doing to the planet. Um, and so this is where coral projects comes in. Now I'm wondering from a, a different perspective, like these coral projects are not intended to be farmed. Correct. No, but, um, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. Oh, really? Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't, um, I'm, I'm not opposed to it for the, when, in the moment when the oceans are so ample that there's abundance there to be eaten. Got it. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, First, that makes I, sense. I, I want to see all the filter species thriving. I want to see them doing all their good work, cleaning up all the waters. Then let's talk about eating, eating the... <laughs> The corals. No, I don't eat corals. Eating the mussels and the oysters. Um, but kelp, kelp, totally. Let's eat that now. You know that's really good for us. Mm. I'm. This whole project is completely fascinating to me. How do people <laughs> support? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, there's a few ways. Um, we take uh, donations that are totally tax write-offable, totally tax deductible via the website. There's a link on the front page. Donate here. You go straight to my fiscal sponsor, which is Fractured Atlas. And whatever donation you make, you get a tax deductible letter if you need it. Um, You can also purchase uh, a custom sea coin, which is um, this ceramic... um, artwork that I make for you specifically. That's why it's custom um, to cleanse your human ocean relationship. So it's a commerce exchange. It's um, a, the coin that you get, the sea coin um, is a token of your contribution to doing your part to clean the oceans. And so every time you see it, you get to remember, you know, I'm, I'm doing something good here. I'm participating in supporting the oceans, cleaning the oceans. Um, I got, I had a vision about a year ago, a year and a half ago, gosh, at least a year and a half ago now of um, the ocean. I was deep in the ocean and the, the, the ocean just washed into my hands, this stack of pearlescent coins, these like palm-sized pearlescent coins. Then I just remember like holding them in my hands and thinking, wow, these are so beautiful. And then I woke up with them almost like in my hand. And I realized like, oh, I'm I have to make these. This is um this is a gift from the ocean. This is this is how I help each individual be part of this project. Um so sea coins are um are a way to contribute and to also receive uh, something back for your contribution. 
and they're beautiful guys you you want to <laughs> check out the sea coins get a sea coin they're gorgeous thank you thank you um tell us I, I know this is gonna sound funny I think you're gonna laugh when I ask yeah. you this but please tell us about bamboo toilet paper and why it's important <laughs> You know I want to. I know you do. <laughs> well, as I like to say, bamboo toilet paper is my um, my favorite gateway activity for going green. Um, so what is bamboo toilet paper? You might be wondering. It is, it is traditional toilet paper made out of bamboo fibers instead of paper fibers. And why do we want that? Well... Bamboo toilet paper takes 90% less water to make. So for your regular roll of toilet paper, Scott's or whatever, one roll of that, you get 10 rolls of bamboo toilet paper for the same amount of water. It takes no chemicals to um, bleach it or purify it in any way. Um, Bamboo grows significantly faster than trees. And also is uh, enriches the soil and is a stronger, five times stronger carbon dioxide sink um, when bamboo is growing. So um, it also disintegrates into your sewage system much faster than regular toilet paper. There are many other reasons that bamboo toilet paper is much more eco-friendly than paper, even than recycled paper toilet paper. So, um, the reason that I love bamboo toilet paper so much is that every time you wipe, you remember, ah, this is bamboo toilet paper. Ah, I've done something good for the planet today. And it reinforces that desire to to do green things, to go green and to feel good about it. It's soft because it's made of bamboo. It's naturally soft. Um, And another favorite aspect, most bamboo toilet paper companies are owned or at least partially owned by a black or brown person. So the reason that's important, people don't necessarily realize that social justice and environmental justice are the same issue. Wherever natural disaster occurs due to climate change, black and brown communities are impacted the most. Also women and children. So you want to support small businesses owned by black and brown people so that they can be raised up so that they can pull themselves up from this position of getting the brunt of this burden of climate change. The companies that I like the best are Lord Tush, which is a pair of um, sisters, black women that are sisters out of Baltimore. Um, they sell by mail boxes of bamboo toilet paper very reasonable, very affordable. Um, there's also real R E E L, which is sold out of target now, um, owned black owned company. Um, and then there's also a real also has paper towels and tissues. You can also order, um, online and get it direct, direct delivery. I have referral codes for um for all these companies, so we'll make sure we, I give those to you. Yes, please. Those of us to share with everybody. And then the third company is um especially for our our Europeans, it's called Who Gives a Crap. <laughs> it's, a, it's a yeah, it's cute. It's a UK based company, and they also do um tissues and paper towels now, um and. They have, uh, I believe, at least one one uh, brown person in their um, ownership team. And um, I, I had looked mm-hmm. up because I, I'm committing myself to go bamboo uh, for 2024. It's like my a New Year's resolution. Um, 
but it's Mm -hmm. not like I think about the price of a huge pack of traditional toilet paper and as you said it's there's not much of a difference guys price wise it's about very very close if not the same so it's not like you're because there's that 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 mindset of like going um organic going green is expensive it's gonna cost more money it if if it costs a little more it literally is it's just pennies. a little it's yeah. yeah we're not talking like fifty dollars a roll of toilet paper here no um no. and it's it is something manageable that you know we can do to mm-hmm. to do our part like you said yeah um so we will put the the codes in the notes <laughs> for the show i love um, that you asked about that uh i had to yeah. um so i i want to go back to something because mm the the art it's really easy as an artist to be scared and to not feel safe in your art um creativity can be scary yeah because you're you're literally serving up your soul on a platter for the world to see (laughs) and there's judgment and how did you how did you reconcile that for yourself Uh, yeah um, cause this is a big project that you're undertaking. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's a big global project. Um, I, it's not about me. Mm. Um, there's a bigger mission here and also, uh, it's not my idea. It's the universe's idea. I, it came, I mean, it literally came to me like lightning out of the sky, like zapped into my brain. I was like, Z-Z-Z-Z. oh, <laughs> um, I was, I was snorkeling, um, at Araka Basa Bay fish sanctuary in Jamaica. Uh, the first fish sanctuary I ever visited. And this is a place where the fishermen had almost killed the reef entirely, with explosive fishing techniques, meaning they threw bombs into the ocean to stun the fish and they almost killed the whole reef that way. Um, and I visited about four years after they got together, 28 something fishermen and this resort nearby, um, leaving no person behind who gets their food, gets their meals from the ocean. Uh, they all agreed to protect the certain perimeter of the sea of the, to bring it back. So no fishing in this certain zone, which means that the people that spearfish would have to swim out farther. And the people that fish from boats would have to have more gasoline and gas out farther, fish farther out. But they did it because there was no other choice at that point. There were no more fish. So I was there after they've already had massive, massive successes at having like 1300% increase biomass in just like four years. And I saw 10,000 fish that were about an inch big. And I recognized them all because I'd seen big versions of him on the reef in the Keys as a child. Um the biggest fish I saw that, that day was a barracuda that was maybe a foot long, which is a very small barracuda. (laughs) Um, and I was sitting on the shore that evening with my friend, Harry, we were talking about another eco art project that I had done the year before I'd make, made camera obscura out of, um, a hundred percent, uh, um, biological materials in a Delta Fjord in the North of, um, Norway. And, and he was like, wouldn't it be cool to see that work here? And then like lightning, I saw underwater art, huge sculptures, interesting shit, you know, curious, weird shapes made by contemporary artists and sea life growing all over. And I was like, oh my God, yes, it looks like this. It goes like this. And then I just knew, I just knew the whole story. Mm. Um, and that was in 2016. So I've been, huh, I've got, I, I go through 
so many like birth, death, renewal processes with this project because it's, um, it means the world to me. Like it's, it's, um, it's everything to me. And I get really attached. Ooh, I get so attached because mm. I love it. I love it so much. Um, but attachment will slow your shit down. That's for sure. Uh, so, so I constantly have to let it go. Like I, I'm like, all right, now is that we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Da, da, da. And then it doesn't go that way. I'm like, oh, I feel let down. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like, when is it ever going to happen? How am I ever going to pull this off? You know, <laughs> you start to get like, I can't even do this. Um, but that's, that's just to say that I'm, I'm, I'm extremely critical <laughs> on myself. Like, because, because the goal is so big and that I, and I care about it so much that, you know, I don't really care what anyone else thinks. <laughs> um, and what I know is that everyone else loves it. Um, yeah. And everyone I talk to about it gets inspired because we all know that the oceans need saving. We all know it. Okay. And we all love the idea that art can do something about it. Everyone talks about art as like this um, extra, you know, it's like um, uh, you don't need art, You'd like arts for fun or art, you know, but whoa, wait, art can do something very practical and save all of our lives. Okay, cool. I'm into that. Like, tell me more, you know? How do we um, get kids involved? I am in the process of getting kids involved actually. So um, I, I have education programming um, that fingers crossed begins in February in South Africa with um, a group of Marine um, science researchers who are introducing the ocean to children who live near the ocean, but have no experience with the ocean because they are that underprivileged. Um, they take them to the ocean, teach them basic marine science. I'm bringing art into this uh, programming that they already have going. Um, so each, so I'll show kids what eco art is. I'll talk to them about um, the spiritual aspects of what it means to create in harmony with nature and then to give what you've made to nature. Uh, and then the kids will make their own artworks we will take them into nature. We'll take them into the ocean. The kids will observe nature with their art. And then they'll also get to take their art with them um, at the end. And I, I want to do more programming like this. Um, kids get it. Like, Oh yeah. And, and they have eco-anxiety, so they need it. Yes. Yes. Um, because we talk so much about how the world is filled with these big issues the ocean like you said the oceans need saving we know this the air needs saving we know this yeah. um so yeah they're inundated with it yeah. <laughs> and now they can help I, fix it yeah exactly and and the the beautiful thing is every time i put one of one of my made from pure love eco-friendly artworks in a scenario with um, underwater creatures, they take over the artworks immediately. Like mm. they know it's for them and they, they just adopt it immediately. Like these pieces that I had at the um, Explorers Club during World Oceans Week this past June in New York, um, I had these small, three small sculptures in a seahorses and corals aquarium. The second I put the first piece in, all three seahorses in the aquarium went straight to that piece and stared at it. They were just like each one of them. And then I put the other two pieces in and immediately the, the male wrapped himself around one and the female wrapped herself around the other one. Immediately. Immediately. They, they just know. You know, they're very intelligent. As sea life is very intelligent. Um, and I just know, I'm, I'm very excited about my site in Southern Italy because I'm working with a marine scientist studying mussels, the growth of mussels there, because they've been hazardously um, overfished 
People hack into the whole side of the the landscape underwater and take 20 years of growth for one meal. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, it's real bad. So this area has been protected. I want to see the rate of growth of these mussels on my sculptures versus the rate of growth on other sites, because I'm going to guess that it's going to blow some minds how quickly mussels regrow on my sculptures because of the energy, the energy of love. Yep. I just, I, and if to some people that's going to sound corny as hell and so not scientific, but you just wait, <laughs> the, the research will come out. <laughs> Why is it that this muscle muscles grew four times faster on these sculptures than it did on that rock or that rock or that rock, you know, same environment. Why is it so prolific here? You know, um, it's that energy of wanting to and choosing to yeah we have to because otherwise we're going to (laughs) like it will meet our demise because we've killed the ocean like even saying that brings a different energy it's Um, true um so I'm so excited for you thank you I'm I'm excited for all of us yes (laughs) what is as we get ready to wrap up um one where can people again just remind us where can we find you and coral projects so um coral projects the the best place to go is coralprojects.com my website um there's a page called exhibitions where you can see all images from past underwater uh, locations and above water sites of art art exhibitions we've done. Um, and then also the, the link to donate is there on the front page. Mm-hmm. Also Instagram coral.projects and in the link in the bio, you also will find the link to donate. Um, I also have a personal Instagram, uh, Vanessa Alberry official where um, you can learn more about yeah. Yeah. The spiritual side of things. That's where I do that work. Um, yep. That's where everything is. Where can we find the C coins? Ah, uh, yes. All you have to do is message me that you want one. So okay. you, can, you can email me, um, info at coralprojects.com or, uh, DM me, um, coral.projects, Instagram, any, anywhere <laughs> you just say, Yo, I want one. Just tell her um, I need one. <laughs> I need I needs it. I got to have it. I, I believe I'm also going to be putting a live link uh on all the all the pages where you can just um go straight to it and and make the purchase. I just haven't created that link yet. Okay. Last, mm-hmm. what do you, if there's nothing else that you mm-hmm. want or that no, what is the one takeaway? one lasting mm. takeaway that maybe we haven't talked about that you need to make sure people know about mm. your work and the coral projects and anything that we've covered today. Mm. Well, I think the most important thing that we all need to know is that every little thing you do matters. Every little action you take is an accumulation of the larger societal actions that we take. You're not functioning alone. You're not functioning, you know, apart from everyone else. Every time you make a choice, conscious or unconscious, it's accumulating in a direction. Do you want to accumulate towards the direction of healing or do you want to accumulate towards the direction of uh, more problems? <laughs> and literally, if you start looking at every choice you make through this lens, it will change your whole life. And I don't just mean it'll change your life. Like your life will be harder. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like that. I mean, it will bring more abundance into your life because the more conscious you are about every little thing you do, the more awareness you bring, the fuller you are in committing to those choices that you're making. 
like for example, <clears throat> bamboo toilet paper. <laughs> um, right now, big companies, Scott's toilet paper, Bounty, whatever, they don't make bamboo toilet paper. Why? It's not fiscally in their personal corporate best interest. Well, they don't know that it actually is. It actually is. It's actually in every single human and corporation's best interest to use bamboo toilet paper because it it prolongs our capacity to live on the planet, right? But they don't think about it like that. But what they do think about is the bottom line. And if you buy bamboo toilet paper and then your friend buys bamboo toilet paper and then 10 of their friends, and then suddenly you're a hundred more people not buying Scott's brand, not buying, you know, Bounty or like the bear one, whatever that would comfy. I don't know. I don't know what that one's called. <laughs> whatever brand, whatever the, your money is now being redirected away from these big companies to these small companies that are do-gooders, right? Mm -hmm. That are doing good for the planet. Once 10, even 8% of their profit margin is gone to bamboo toilet paper, they're sweating. Mm -hmm. They want that money back. And suddenly big companies are going to be changing their ways. They're going to be making eco-friendly alternatives because they want you back as a customer. So you individually hold so much power. Your money, your good that you put into the world that generated your money, that is your good. Put it towards more good so that you can just amplify the good. And as you amplify that good, suddenly just takes a few people. Just take, imagine the, the, the billions of people that buy Scott's brand toilet paper. We just need what? 50, 50,000, 500,000 people to switch to bamboo toilet paper, to take enough of a profit margin away from Scott's mm -hmm. to put the pressure on them to change their ways. And once these bigger corporations in these, in these large industries, once they make a change, it becomes a universal change. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, if Poland spring stopped using plastic water bottles and started using either, um, cart carton ones, carton, you know, carton water bottles or, or even, even better, the 10 renewable, um, water bottles if if they changed the whole industry would change yep it just it becomes a trickle down in that way so but it starts with they they need the pressure right now they're just like slap happy throwing money into their pockets and you know wiping their ass with money and it's <laughs> it's a beautiful part of business because mm -hmm. it forces you to be creative, to innovate, which makes mm -hmm. everything better. Mm -hmm. um, they And yeah, like we are stronger together yeah. to make that innovation happen, which then everybody thrives in business because now yes. you're, it's not just about the money. Yeah. Um, it's about, Ethics. yes, yes, exactly. So um it, it forces you as a, the CEO um, to push your company mm -hmm. to, to just to innovate. And it there's so much more good that can come out of that. So much more exponential. Oh, yeah. When we diversify, we, we accelerate our growth opportunity. When, when, when there's more interest at the table, suddenly there's more opportunity for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's not one winner. We're all the winner. Exactly. If we choose that. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. Um, Vanessa, thank you again for <laughs> coming back. And this is, was a very different conversation, but one that <laughs> I'm so glad we get to share. Um, 
remember guys we're gonna wrap up you are never stuck you are never lost and you are never ever alone at any given moment you can use your power to pivot whether that be going to see or contributing to the coral projects or buying bamboo toilet paper um making one simple new choice and starting again and i will talk with everyone on the next episode take care guys and thank you again vanessa thanks elizabeth at any given moment you have the power to choose a new path for your life We hope these interviews inspire you to recognize your own personal power within. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and I want you to remember that you are never stuck, you are never lost, and you are never, ever alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice, and start again. And I so look forward to seeing you on the next episode where we share more inspiring stories of those who have made the choice to pivot in their own lives.